welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and my guests this week are Lee Newman, CEO of Mullen Low US, and Kelly Fredrickson, president of Mullen Low US. Like most creative agencies, this past year for Mullen Low has been about adapting to working from home, to changing consumer habits, and to increasing demands for diversity and inclusion. Newman and Fredrickson chat about how the agency has tackled these challenges, including winning new business during a busy pitch season and lockdown, and plans to make its employee population representative of the U.S. Hi, Lee. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, um... This, I'm going to start with a broad question. Uh, obviously, the past year and a half has had its challenges. <laughs> Talk a little bit about, um, you know, as a leadership team, what that's been like for you, how you've sort of kept Mullen Lowe's culture and creative spirit alive while working from home, and um, maybe some learnings you've had over these past few months. Yeah, sure. Um, it's It's been a learning experience, to say the least. And uh, I can honestly say that we've gotten better um, over time, uh, sort of understanding what it means to work together virtually. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's definitely become the new normal now. But as I look back on the early days, it was, uh, you know, frantic activity um, to make sure that we were all together, um, meeting more, communicating way more than we had before. And, and in fact, I think, you know, as a leadership team, our, our communication went from probably, if we're honest with ourselves, a weakness uh, to a real strength. And um, we not only communicated more in writing, but we certainly met more. And that, and that continues to this day. Um, and we've just done a lot of things to make sure that we are uh, connected in in a virtual world. Um, you know, Kelly, you probably want to talk a little bit about uh, stoking curiosity as an example. Yeah, thanks, Lee. I think that is a great example. We, um, Allison, we created this. Uh, it was every Monday afternoon, sort of a lunchtime thing. We called it stoking curiosity. And what we did was invited in people that had nothing to do with advertising to give us sort of like a reason to sort of gather around the Zoom fire and listen to somebody who's doing something great in the world. And we've had amazing guests. You know, we had a gentleman that um, talked about defunding the police at a Syracuse town hall. We had him come and explain defunding the police to our team, uh, which really was motivating for everybody. We had Candace McDuffie, who talked about um, 50 rappers who changed the world. We've had clients come in, um, you know, book authors to talk about just things that let everybody connect and lift their head up. I think one of the things that um, I learned during the pandemic, while I prefer to hang out with um, the team in person, get a lot of energy from in-person interaction, Zoom sort of democratized the front row, you know, and so the voices that you won't normally hear from in an in-person meeting actually talked in these um, all agency meetings or it's stoking curiosity and you know the chat functionality in zoom is a great also democratizer so I, I really loved being able to hear from everyone where normally in a live meeting you only hear from the loudest people in the room mm, that's a good point um and do you feel like um 
you know, in terms of obviously connection was a big thing that's missing. What about creativity? Like, how do you sort of keep that that magic alive while working from home? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I don't think it's easy, but I think that we've done a really good job of it. And as I said before, I think we've gotten better as time has gone on. Um, we we do have a clear point of view that creatively we are better together. We're better physically in the same place and in the same room. But life doesn't always allow it, certainly not over the past year and a half. And then moving forward, it won't always allow it either. So we need to be realistic about that. But we do want to get back um, to being together physically. And, and we've seen this little window of opportunity that we've had over the past couple of months where we've been allowed to get together at key moments for for new business pitches or for, you know, important uh, creative presentations and creative development right before a major production. And we and we are reminded of how great it is just to be together and how, you know, there's some of that organic uh, creativity that happens at the last minute and and together. And so we we would certainly prefer it, but we're becoming real ninjas at, at, at you know, going without. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. It seems like it's, you know, for a while people were hoping we'd just go right back and it's definitely going to be a little bit of a, a, a what's the word, um, work in progress as mm-hmm. We go back in, back out, small groups, things like that. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're not alone, and we're not alone in feeling that that um, there's something a little bit missing. But we we've certainly let all of our policies and and what we've you know how we've steered people be uh, dictated by the health of our and the safety of our people. So that's first and foremost, and then. We know that we benefit from being together. And I think that everything in between that become the details of sort of how we work together. I think also that, you know, what I love about this business is uh, creative people are. And I think creative people are some of the most resistant, uh, resilient people on the planet. You know, they just they're always trying to figure out a way to birth an idea, find a new way of doing something. So I don't think that our creativity suffered because of the pandemic. I think, I think the way that we got to it changed. Um, and certainly like, yeah, we all want to be together because we're humans, <laughs> um, but we have, we have figured out really great ways to, you know, and then there's like no shortage of tools to connect you um, to get your ideas made. So I, I love the resiliency of our people. Yeah, that's great. Um, you were just mentioning a new a new tool that I'd never heard of before we started recording. What was it again? Maybe Quip. Quip. Yeah, Quip. it's a great it's a great creative tool. It's I, I think it, I said it was like Google Docs and Slack had a baby, but um, it's it's really good for writing and editing. Cool. They're not sponsoring this podcast, They're but they not. can if they want. Furthermore, <laughs> I, I hope it's IT approved, Kelly. I, I just don't. Oh, it's a person. It's a personal one that I found that I started working on with. It's not. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not the IT police. I'm just. <laughs> you just um, play one on the Zoom. Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit about clients. It's been a really busy pitching year. Um, it seems like everybody decided. We need a new agency now. The pandemic ruined all of our plans. So um, talk about um, how you've been navigating that that busy season and then a little bit about, you know, what your clients are looking for in these pitches. 
Do you want, you want me to, to go, Lee? Yeah. yeah I mean, sure. you know, we, uh, I mean, it's sort of, yeah, pitch a Palooza or pitch a Mageddon, whatever you want to call it, Allison, you know, coming out of the pandemic where I think that um, the same thing that's happening with talent where they just want change is happening with clients where they're just, you know, trying to shake it up. And uh, we've had some recent success. We we're just coming off of three wins, you know, Angels Envy, a whiskey and Credit Karma. And then TJ Maxx, our most recent win, which is um, really, really fun. It's great for Mullen Lowe in Boston, but also the Boston creative community to keep a client from Massachusetts in Massachusetts. And I think what they are most looking for, what, what sort of all three of them have in common um, and what our existing clients are, is making sure that we're keeping our pulse on culture uh, for for consumers and making sure that we are entering into conversation with consumers, you know, as as they are adapting to the changes that they're experiencing through the pandemic, how do we help our clients, new business and existing clients, continue to grow? I think that's the common theme. Uh, yeah. yeah. And for me, you know, a little bit more broadly, I, I know that we're hitting stride when we're when we're winning business and growing. In all three of our offices, we have a, a major office in Boston, L.A., and New York now, um, each with its own uh, leadership team. And, and I see us clicking when I know we're, we're adding business in all three. And then, of course, the organic growth has been amazing this year because, um, you know, uh, despite the the pandemic uh, sort of stretching on in a way that we none of us could have imagined, we feel that uh, client confidence fueled by consumer confidence. And so there um, there was at first a rush to sort of take advantage of of a, of a recovery. And now it's just, as I said before, it's kind of the new normal um, where uh, there just seems to be a, a higher spending level and, and more confidence and more focus on on, you know, getting back to business. Is that still the case? I know that, um, you know, we cover all these like ad spend forecasts and everything is extremely bullish. But then with the Delta variant coming in and, you know, sort of muting um, some 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 of that excitement a little bit, are clients still like really wanting to spend on advertising? And if so, you know, where is it branding? Is it performance? Like, what are you seeing there? We're, we're watching carefully for sort of a pause or a slowdown, but honestly, we haven't seen that in our business yet. Um, I, I don't know if, if it's happening, you know, in the, in the industry, but we just, we haven't seen that, uh, pause yet. We see our, our clients keeping their, um, their, their pedal to the metal. Um, and, and so it's encouraging. And to answer the question, it is, uh, certainly, you know, a continuation or an acceleration of some of the trends that we saw before the pandemic with a higher level of accountability and, and clients being drawn to more uh, performance oriented marketing. But it's both. It's people wanting to it's it's our, our clients wanting to build their brands and um, sort of, you know, generate generate sales, too. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things, you know, I mean, digital ad sales are are outpacing television ad sales right now. We know that from the industry. And I think that's a, a sign of where consumers are engaging, right? And so our our clients want to be there. Um, and they, you know, they're asking us for 
uh, work that is both inspirational and invitational. You know, I think that's the thing that we're hearing from our clients is how do we continue to inspire consumers, but also invite them in. Um, but not a slowdown, as Lee said, like we're not feeling that right now. Yeah, that's interesting. I know you guys have a big, you know, PR practice, social media, in addition to um, creative and, and branding and all of that. So how are you sort of like, are you seeing that that line blurring between, you know, yeah. PR and communications and marketing in the sense that it's a conversation now, right? It's not a oh, one way broadcast. Yeah. yeah. In fact, in fact, the structure of our digital group, formerly known as our digital group, is is really based around that premise that it's completely blurred, that there aren't these silos or lines. From a consumer standpoint, people are um, engaging with brands in all kinds of different ways. And they're not, you know, specifically, you know, on social or visiting a website or interacting, you know, with uh, an e-commerce experience. They are all blurring together. And so that's how we've sort of set up that practice. And I, you know, as we go into conversations on PR, we're always bringing uh, influencer and and social media capabilities. You know, as we uh, talk to a prospective client um, about about social, we're always adding a PR angle, and same with advertising. And so that's always been. And, and thank you for mentioning it. But that's always been a part, very much a part of who we are. Um, not necessarily pushing and selling capabilities, but just looking at a client's business situation and saying, how can we help them? because we have a lot of different kinds of tools. Yeah, we have a, um, you know, Magna Global did a study um, in 2019, I think, where they proved that being culturally culturally relevant is as important for a brand as positive brand sentiment. And, you know, when you think about that, like that's really our social and PR team combined to make sure that we're staying culturally relevant. And, you know, our um, behavioral science group sits at sort of the nexus of both of those groups, right? And they uh, that's our fastest growing department. And they help us stay in touch with our consumers, stay culturally, culturally relevant. Um, and they've developed two proprietary tools, which are really cool, Speedbag and Mullen Low Next, that we use. So, you know, while, while we have a, a really fast growing behavioral sciences group, uh, it's fueling our creativity, our PR, and all of our social thinking. Mm, that's really interesting. And you guys also have a production studio in-house. Um, talk about Yeti. Why- Yeti. <laughs> yeah. Talk about the, strate- the strategy of, of owning production. Well, um, it's a little bit different than, than some of the other agencies with in-house production because we don't necessarily force everything through, through Yeti. It's really a, a decision, you know, taken by, uh, you know, our ECDs and our creative leads um, when they approach a project trying to figure out whether we produce it through Yeti or we're going to work with outside partners or a combination of both. But it's been an incredible sort of creative um, playground for our people. And we have really, really talented uh, editors and folks in, in Yeti. And it allows us to do a lot of a lot of things that are important and getting more important um, with some of the challenges our clients face. It, it allows you to be, you know, high quality, fast and relatively inexpensive. And having all three of those together um, is sort of an amazing magic trick. And that's what Yeti allows us to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I think fast, inexpensive, and, and uh, high quality is, is the trifecta right there. <laughs> Right. And they're uh, they're so talented. The editors and shooters there they could they could work anywhere. Um, and we're so lucky that they've chosen to work with us. They're our secret weapon in a lot of cases. Awesome, yeah. And and one thing I also find really interesting about Mullen Low is I know you have offices in New York and LA, but your your center of gravity is really in Boston. Is that correct? Yeah, our headquarters are in Boston, but I don't know if it's the center of gravity. Really, you know, we've got. We've got three strong offerings across the U.S., Boston, New York, and L.A., and each of them are a little bit different. We have new headquarter offices in Boston, which is super exciting, and two dry dock we're moving to the seaport. But I don't know. I think the center shifts a little bit, and I think that's what's cool about it. You know, sometimes it'll be Boston. Sometimes it'll be New York. Sometimes it'll be L.A. Yeah, I see it very very much as sort of a portfolio approach. But, um, you know, the, the, the strength... Um, of our Boston office where we have a full suite of, of everything we offer is certainly really important. You know, LA has been this incredible growth story. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's grown to about the same size as Boston. And then New York has this uh, scrappiness and this can do uh, attitude and this ability to, um, you know, just just keep pulling off amazing um, work for clients. So I, I just I feel like each of them has their own strength. And and while each has their own management team and leadership team, we are still connected and realize that we're, we're sort of stronger as one Mullen Low U.S. Mm. So how do the offerings differentiate? Um, talk a little bit about that. Do you want I to? Mean- Sure. I mean, I'll talk about because it's got an amazing effectiveness story. Yeah, I'll talk about. I think that we, you know, it's. I, I think anything gets differentiated by the talent that's in the, in the place, Allison. Um, and in Boston, you know, we have a team that's incredibly dedicated to building a culture of creative effectiveness. Um, you know, so year after year after year, you know, we are always working to make sure that our clients, who are usually outspent in the categories that they compete can, you know, spend punch above their weight. Um, this year we have uh, 13 FE wins across six clients, uh, 28 finalists. And last year we had 11 across six clients and, uh, and then including the uh, sustained success FE for E-Trade. Um, all the awards come out at the end of September, so I don't know what color medals we got for those awards. But year <laughs> after year after year, we're, you know, one of the most effective agencies in the U.S., you know, and 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 that's um you know the effies well I'm sure it's you know you can't win without it also being great creative so we're we're super proud of that so I think that's what we talk a lot about coming out of Boston is uh, how effective can we be how creatively effective can we be I was just going to say in in LA it has probably has the sharpest creative focus um, we have a great new creative leadership. Um, in in Los Angeles and and it sort of acts like the most uh, uh, pure creative uh, boutique. It's attracted some amazing clients. We started with with Acura and um, we work with Corona. We work with Patron. We work with Grey Goose, uh, California Avocados, Hawaiian Airlines. So it's a it's a great mix of of clients that people are really excited to to work with. And then in New York, we also have um, new creative leadership. 
and and a really great uh, strategic and design capabilities. And as I said, I think New York feels um, the most like uh, a startup and and the most sort of like optimistic that they could they could sort of take on the world. And and so we're excited about where that's going as well. Cool. And to your point of um, creative effectiveness, is that focus changing your business model at all in terms of like, you know, maybe pricing more on outcomes and, and things like that, as opposed to number of time or number of people on the account? You know, it's interesting that you ask that the PR group, um, you know, a lot of their contracts are written based on, you know, the amount of earned media that they can deliver and how it equates to ad equivalency. So a lot of the PR work is definitely the more effective it is at earning attention, the better the contract for that team. I think, you know, on the on the general side of the house, Allison, that's something that I would love to like work with a bunch of agency leaders on figuring out sort of how do we charge better for outcomes rather than time? Because that's an age old sort of problem. You know, how are we valuing or devaluing ourselves by not charging that way? Right. Um, I think that um, clients care that their work is creatively creative and effective. Um, and so we're, we're going to continue to do that. Um, and hope that we get paid um, accordingly for it, right? And, and um, but the industry on a whole could do some work together to figure out how to how to charge differently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you look at that FE track record, those are against real business KPIs. So if we were being compensated based on value, we'd probably be a lot farther ahead. The, the truth is that there's been so much discussion about that over decades now. Um, but the reality is most of our compensation agreements are still, you know, a little bit more traditional if we're, mm-hmm. if we're honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely a huge, a huge topic that I always chat about with um, creative agencies because it's important, I think. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about diversity and inclusion, which I know has been a big focus for the industry over the past year and a half. Um, what are some things that you've done to sort of tangibly change your culture, the way that you deal with this issue? I know that you uh, signed the In for 13 pledge, and I saw that that's uh, still on your website, so that's great. But talk a little bit more about some of the things you've been doing there. Yeah, I mean, we have a a strong point of view that um, we don't want to take a selfie on mile one, Allison. You know, I think that's something we learned from one of our clients who spoke at, at Stoking Curiosity. Um, so what we're trying to do is make sure that we're making tangible, credible changes to things um, in order to meet our goal of having, you know, 13% black leadership um, and representative uh, across all employees by 2025. Um, and so some of the things we're doing is we, we took a hard look at our recruiting uh, number one. And um, in addition to insisting, which everyone does on a diverse slate of candidates, um, if at the end of the process, all the candidates have had the same interview schedule, they've met the same people, they've had the same questions asked of them. Um, if at the end of that, the hiring manager um, has, you know, qualified candidates and is still choosing to hire a white candidate, they have to take a 24-hour reflection period and answer four questions. And the first question is, is your team diverse? Yes or no? And if, you're, if your answer to that is no, 
it, it's kind of hard to answer the other three questions, you know, and it just that 24 hour reflection period um, helps to, you know, tamp down any implicit bias that we all experience just because of, of who we are. You know, the industry is predominantly white. Um, and so in order to change that, you have to take a tangible step like insisting on a 24 hour reflection period. Um, the other thing that we have done is we've opened up a job number so people have a place to put their time because everything in advertising is time-based. Where do I put my time? How do I bill for the time? Um, and so if you give somebody a place to put it, um, then they're more likely to do that you're asking them to do, which is either to, you know, increase their own learning or uh, participate more um, towards helping the agency create a culture of belonging. And then I think the third thing that we did, which is um, – I think awesome is that we created something called the cultural consultancy. So, you know, we've got uh, ERGs uh, who are often asked, you know, to look at work, to um, give their opinion, to help us make sure that we're being culturally sensitive and relevant. Um, and that's in addition to what they do every day. So we've created a way for them to compensate the ERG that they are a member of if they do that kind of work for us. So it's not just like, an extra thing that they're going to do. And then lastly, um, in LA, we hired a woman named Pilar McCorder, um, Molly Parsati, who's the head of strategy there in, uh, in LA, saw an opportunity to build a cultural strategy department as part of the strategic practice for Mullen Lowe. And so, you know, we've hired Pilar um, and, you know, she has really helped us uh, with a lot of our clients and a new business and she's building a team there. So I think we're just doing some some tangible, credible, small thing. And, you know, check back with us in a year because, like I said, we don't want to take a selfie right now. Yeah. Well, I, I, just want, I just want to build on that. I, I think all to, to summarize that, we've taken a lot of really good intentions and turned them into actions. And I think that's the biggest change for us over the past uh, year plus is that we are taking – those tangible actions that Kelly talked about. And we are starting to see it, um, you know, reflected in the diversity numbers at the agency. And maybe even more important, it's definitely showing up in the work we're doing for clients. Um, and, and that's really important. I, I think the other aspect of it is the work that our, our production team has done. Um, we've always had a relationship with free the bid, which is now free the work. And we're prioritizing the education of both the agency and our clients um, by providing like a lot of uh, resources and access uh, to expand sort of underrepresented talent in production. And that ultimately encourages people to use different producers and directors and, and, and resources. And the output is actually different as a result of that. So it's a, it's a whole other work stream that we have to make sure that the work we're doing um, better reflects, you know, uh, culture at large and, and the diversity of the audiences that we're, that we're you know, trying to connect with. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I want to follow up on on the work in a minute, but Kelly, you said you mentioned something about compensating the ERGs, which is really interesting. I haven't heard of anything like that, and I do feel like a lot of the times the onus is on these groups, right, to like do everything themselves. So, if you could share a little bit more detail on that, um, you know how they're compensated, how that works, that would be sure, great. Sure, I mean it's it, this is an idea that came from one of our ERGs called Black at Mullen. Um, and, you know, they, they were being, you know, sort of like creating this ERG and being asked into meetings 
um, to comment on creative work. Um, and I think that both for the people who are asking for the input in order for them to hear it, it's always better if you know you're paying for it, right? Like, because I think it's like, it's like with clients, right? If they're paying for you to do work, they're going to listen to what you have to say. And the same is true mm-hmm. internally. So what we did was um, we created a hourly rate um, and it's a way for the ERG. So they have a budget to spend that's up to their discretion, you know, on, you know, work that the ERG wants to do or things, activities and to benefit. The ERG. And that budget is then enhanced uh, by the activity of people in the ERG if they are participating in cultural consultancy work. And it's just an, just like we get compensated. There's an hourly rate, uh, and Lee and I manage a budget, and the, and the team gets compensated, and then they can do what they want with it. The, the difference is it's not meant to be seen as personal compensation at an hourly rate. It's really meant to trigger a reward that goes to the ERG that helps further strengthen that ERG. So it's, you know, as opposed to personal compensation where you look at an hourly rate and say, well, that's my that's my market value. This is more a trigger that funnels more money into that ERG that they can then do other things with. And it's interesting that you picked up on this because it's been the program that we've developed that has had the most discussion and probably the most um you know, it's it's needed the most revising over the past year because it is such a tricky thing to try to pull off. And I think that, you know, as soon as somebody sees it as personal compensation, it sort of goes in the wrong direction. And when somebody sees it as compensation to help strengthen their ERG and the agency overall, then, then it's kind of got the right spirit. But it is a tricky one. It's yeah. tricky. And I think, you know, I mean, like we all have had the experience, right, where we see something um, on television or online or something and and we're like, oh, my gosh, what did the room look like that that (laughs) piece of communication got through? Like, you know, was there a woman in there? Was there a black person? Was there a a, um, Hispanic person? Like who how Latinx? how, How could that possibly have gotten through? And so the cultural consultancy is our attempt to protect ourselves from that and to include all those voices at Mullen Low who, you know, have input and a desire to improve the way that our industry is, you know, received. Um, so that that's really, you know, it's, I hope that it stops that from ever happening to us. And, yeah. and it's, it's also a recognition that we're, we're, we're leaning on certain people for those life experiences and expertise in a way that we maybe hadn't a few years ago and wanting to recognize that. And the last thing I'll say about it is it's on a volunteer basis. So you you could be a, a member of one of our ERGs and just decide you don't want to engage in that that part of it. And that's that's perfectly fine. So it's it is voluntary. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard anything like that. So I, it's definitely um, an interest. It, I could see why it would be tricky, but I think it's it's smart. Um and to your point about production um, and, and free the work, like what are you noticing um, about how the work is maybe changing because of your focus on this? Like maybe what's what's a piece of work you've been really proud of that you've noticed a big difference in? Uh, one of the things I'm 
I'm really proud of is work that we did for Suffolk, which is a uh, company in Boston. They're a Boston client. And, um, you know, they are doing a lot of work um, to get women into STEM positions. Um, And so we did a spot um, and, and a whole series of communications, but a spot where the entire cast was female, the directors were female, everybody on the set was female, and pretty much the entire agency team and client team are female too. And um, I think that what I what I noticed about that was a real sense of pride because, you know, we all want to do something huge. Like we all want to do something really big. But if you're involved in something like that where, you know, you're showing up on a set one day and you're looking around, and you're like, oh, my gosh, everyone looks like me. We're all working on something great together. That That's the way to make change. So I, I that's that's what I see those moments where you know, you've got somebody who's new to the industry, having that kind of an experience, we're going to keep them, you know? Um, So so that, I I think that was an exciting thing that we did this year. And I'm I'm very proud of the work we've done for Corona. Um, You know, a a totally different tagline and platform that is what I would call organically uh, diverse with a Spanish language tagline that that didn't set out to be a multicultural, you know, campaign. It was really a, a total market campaign, uh, recognizing, you know, the diversity of the audience. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun and it and and it's been very successful. So those are those are a couple of them. But we we've, we've got a lot of work and development that also really reflects um, that new focus and and the value of of all these diverse voices. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of that, right? Like, quote unquote, general market work that's not meant to be, quote unquote, multicultural, because that's how the population is changing. Absolutely. Uh, That's just that's just connecting with a broader audience at this point. Mm -hmm, For sure. Um, And then. I wanted to follow up on the In for 13 pledge, which is a uh, a pledge to make your leadership team 13% black by 2023, is it? Talk, um, there was a story that ran that talked about how, like, most agencies that signed it have dropped out. Um, what's kept you in? What's and, and how difficult has it been? Like, why have other agencies dropped out so easily? Well... We're we're all in. Um, And what we've really enjoyed about in for 13 is that they're they're a great collaborative partner. Um, They uh, they have a a really unique approach where they set out sort of steps for agencies to follow. Um, There's not a lot of judgment involved. There's a lot of encouraging and coaching and some resources and tools. And we've just found them to be a great partner on our on our path to uh, to achieving what we want to achieve. Like uh, Kelly said, we've taken the 13 percent promise and expanded it to the agency overall, not just the leadership team. It's going to take a little bit longer to achieve uh, those numbers for for the agency. But then even more broadly, we've looked at the diverse makeup of the U.S. population and said, that's really what the agency should look like, um, including, you know, 18 to 20 percent uh, Latinx and a strong representation um, from, you know, Asian Americans and ensuring that our male female split um, 
you know, is reflective uh, of the of the greater population, um, which, you know, currently is we, we have um, more more women at the agency and about a 50 50 split in leadership. So watching these things and tracking them is just going to help us um, make sure that we we reflect the U.S. But we, we still have a lot of work to do in building the agency to get to to those levels. But we at least we know what the target is. Yeah, I suspect, I suspect that um, agency leadership who, you know, so Lee and I are the leaders of the agency and we signed up. Right. And so then, you know, we made the decision and, and everybody uh, is, is, you know, being a leader with us in the, at the agency, but other agencies, you know, I think not the CEO, not the president signed up for the pledge. And when you, when you hear, 13% black in leadership by 2023 and you don't understand all of the support that in for 13 is going to give you i think it's hard to to convince leadership of that you know and i i would encourage any agency that you know had people on their team sign up for it to to relook at it because you know riona and the in for 13 team have resources to help you and and um i would love more agencies to join and there, there wasn't a lot of convincing, you know, Rebecca Padges, who leads our New York office, was was right on board. I mentioned what Lisa Sutton has done in leading our production group and, and really like everybody asking themselves, what can I do to to help us achieve these goals and to move the agency forward in this direction? So that's been great to see. Yeah, it really does start with with leadership. Um Awesome. So, so we're almost out of time, but I do want to get your, um, your pulse on sort of this back to the office conversation that's going on in the industry right now. I'm pretty sure I know IPG. I, I'm saying I'm pretty sure I know because I'm pretty sure I wrote the story. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, IPG um, is mandating vaccinations. Um, are you planning to return to the office? Are you, how often, what does that look like? Talk about, there's a lot of nuance in hybrid, right? So talk about what that means at Malumlo. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, we're, we're riding this Bronco like everybody else and we're, we're watching it and we're, we're prepared to, to shift and change. Um, We're driven by a couple of different principles. First, you know, the, the health and safety of our people. Uh, second, you know, the knowledge that um, we are we are better together and ultimately we want to set up um, an arrangement so that our people are geographically, you know, uh, it, for the most part, uh, close enough to an office where they can interact face to face. And then, you know, there's been a, a sharp focus on creative and creative output at the agency. We've, we've retooled a lot of what we've done and put it through a creative filter. And this, you know, these decisions about office are, are no different. We are, we have a a very strong focus on what's going to yield the strongest creative output uh, for the, for the agency. So what does, what does all that mean? It means that um, we have our offices open now. um, And um, with the new IPG guidelines, it's easy to understand that if you're vaccinated, we, we welcome you back uh, to the office. I think they're at a 20% capacity now, and we could dial that up or down depending on what happens with the Delta variant and what we, what we need to do. Um, 
And then, you know, we, we are putting in place a mechanism for unvaccinated to, um, to be able to come to work with, uh, with a negative test. So we're, we're following that, but we would like to expand to larger percentages than 20% moving forward and to continue to use the offices as a collaboration space. And, um, you know, we, we had, uh, tried something, you know, during a, a real window of opportunity in Boston in that beautiful new office mm-hmm. to have um, more people coming in on a regular basis. But like everybody has to do during this pandemic, we reacted to the situation, sort of backed off that a little bit. But we we do plan uh, a day when we'll all be back um, together uh, physically and it and it won't be like it was before. It will always be a hybrid model with people coming in, you know, a few days a week. Um, and we're also making a lot of arrangements to take advantage of talent that that lives in other places. So we're trying to be very, very flexible, but we, we still are holding on to the principle that we're, uh, we're better together and, um, and it will strengthen us when we're actually able to work face to face. Awesome. Well, on that note, we are out of time, but thank you guys so much for joining me and um, hope to see you soon, maybe in person. Thanks, Allison. Thank you so much for having us. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for tuning in to Campaign Chemistry and we'll see you next time. 